Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Well, good evening and welcome to the Family Recovery Project podcast. I'm Jacqueline Sazzi and I'm here as always with Frank Salaya. Hello, Frank. Hi, Jacqueline. How are you today? I am well. It's a very sunny, pretty day today in Atlanta. How are things in Phoenix? Uh, it's awesome. It's, uh, probably mid-70s, clear blue skies. So yeah. no complaints on my end. Yes, and I don't have to be jealous this time because that's what it was like here today. Uh, well, I'm, glad you're, <laughs> I'm glad you're able to enjoy your weather out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been great. Of course, you know, just wait five minutes and we'll see what happens. So we are here tonight to talk about how treatment is not one size fits all. And this comes from a lot of Frank's experience, though I experienced this on the treatment provider end as well. And really what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this over to you, Frank, because this is kind of your baby. And, um, and I will chime in as needed. So if you want to go ahead and get us started, go for it. Okay. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I think that it's a continuation of the last two programs that we had uh, we were discussing earlier about expectations. And I think that initially when I first after the surprise of learning that my son was using drugs to the extent that he was, um, you know, things changed in my life. And as we started to look for help, um, it was one of the common, a very popular phrase that you hear when you're going through intake and assessment that, um, you know, this is not a process where it works for everybody either the first time. We, you know, uh, they kind of create some doubt in your mind about, um, you know, what they offer and what you're looking for. Uh, I can say very honestly that from my perspective, I had no idea what I was looking for. So uh, I think the one thing that really affected me initially was, um, you know, really looking for information that made me feel comfortable, that made me feel safe, and especially was going to offer me some hope that my son was going to be safe. Um, And that's really all I knew. Um, you know, I had just enough knowledge to probably be dangerous about, uh, you know, certain aspects of addiction and, uh, you know, not really thinking about what the family uh, was going to be, you know, faced with as time went on. And I think that the one-size-fit-all process to me ultimately became uh, thinking on my part that was more, I, I, I started to think that this was trial and error. 
And mm-hmm. I think the one thing that I would like to share with people that we could talk about initially uh, to be aware of is that uh, there's no fitting rooms for us to find out what fits. And mm-hmm. the other problem that I had with it, uh, not initially, but ultimately, was having to pay to see if it was going to fit before I could even try it on. So there weren't there were no fitting rooms uh, per se, you know, to be able to go in and try on an, an ideology or a methodology or anything like that. It was more just kind of uh, this ethereal talk about, hey man, you know, we know you've got issues, you know, we've got problems, and your son's probably worse off than he's actually telling you. And so those kind of fear, you know, statements were working well with me at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we, as I, in my situation, and, and, and I, I know I share it with many other parents, that, you know, after three or four failures, um, and, you know, fifteen to eighteen to $22,000 per time, you're down $80,000, $90,000 in a very short period of time, that the one-size-fit-all started to kind of not make sense to me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted it to, but it just didn't, it wasn't holding the same message for me anymore. Um, and I think that's when I really started to try to really wanted to drill down and figure out what was going on. Um, cause I, it was a ma- it's a simple matter of math for most of us, uh, with or without insurance in terms of the expense, um, you know, financially, and then also emotionally, and then also mm-hmm. spiritually with respect to the way that it was affecting the core values of my family. Um, I I started to ask, well, what, what what is it that you're asking me to try on? And I think that at that point was when I really started to get a little bit clearer about what my purpose was to make decisions. Because up to that point, intellectually, I thought I had a handle on it, but I didn't really handle it well. I really didn't. I, I wasn't in a position where my intellect was handling decisions. It was my emotions. Mm-hmm. And it, it was easier just to accept that than to try to work through it intellectually because I didn't have anybody helping me. Uh, I was reading books. I was on the Internet. I was talking to anybody that would listen to me and give me five minutes of their time. Um, But, again, going back to that analogy of of, of fitting in, uh, we weren't fitting in because we were were failing. And it had a lot to do with my son's failure to stay sober. And I Mm -hmm. think that's one thing that families have to learn to deal with is, is that, we can continue to move forward if we find the right place and find the right resources and let our child catch up to us. But in the beginning, we're tied to their success. Right. And I know that you and I had conversations when, you know, my son was in treatment with you um, about how to deal with that. Because, man, I, I, as you know, I had issues. I had, I had really a difficult time trying to reconcile those, the disparity in terms of where we were at. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to be able to say, well, no, this is the way that it's supposed to be right now. Um, this is what you do. This is what I do. This is what he does. Um, but as you know, it's just not that simple an equation. So that's kind of my intro. But it, again, <laughs> had a lot to do with my expectations. And because right. they weren't being met, I became very disillusioned, um, you know, uh, angry at times um, with my son, with treatment. Um, just with everything in general, you know, I, just, yeah. I, I wasn't in a really good place. Well, and I can think of a few, but could you give me an example of a one size fits all approach that you experienced? Um, 
Yeah, I think that, and, and I, I'm going to say this, and, it, and it's not an indictment. I, I, I had a feeling initially because I, my background was more empirical in terms of my education, mm-hmm. um, you know, data analysis, methodology, uh, because I, I really was trying to get ready to get involved with politics and, um, you know, managing public opinions and things of that nature. So I initially kind of went to the cognitive side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't, one, I didn't know that much about 12 steps, so it really wasn't anything. It was just seemed to be more my comfort zone. So the first place that we went uh, was definitely an evidence-based cognitive behavioral process. I mean, mm-hmm. it was maybe, there was group involved, but it was all based on developing that cognitive dissonance that they're all looking for to create change. Right. Um, the, the problem for me was is that the promise was, anyway, that my son was going to be, you know, basically an, an intensive inpatient all day long, have meetings at night, uh, do his schoolwork, um, and that we were going to have parent meetings so that we could figure out what we needed to do to kind of keep up. And what it ended up being, and I found this out in a matter of just about two weeks, was that it uh, my son was going to try, they were going to try to force him into a model of behavior that didn't consider him as an individual. And so it was really kind of the opposite of what they told me initially. I know that this, I, I'll, I'll try to say this in a way you can follow, but they were like, well, your son has his own issues. His younger brother had just passed away very suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going through, a, a, still through a fairly protracted divorce and, you know, uh, uh, custody situation with my son early. I mean, he was, we were just out of it, still working on it. You know, it took, took a few years. So he had a lot of different things that he was going through. And they made it sound like they were going to deal and address those issues. And what happened was is that it became a one-size-fits-all concept. Mm-hmm. And it was a very jarring experience for me uh, because that's not what I was told. I, I, you know, I right. thought that you, you weren't going to go ahead and, like, kind of take him into a, a quote-unquote Stepford situation and then just kind of recreate him and then let him all come out and they're all the same when they get out. Um, but I found out very quickly that, you know, based on the standards that were at this particular uh, facility, that, that that was exactly what they were doing. And then along with that, we were, as a family, going to be asked to do the same thing. Uh, so they didn't really care about his, you know, brother, his, you know, younger sister. Um, it was about being told what we were supposed to be and, how, and, and without any direction as to how we were supposed to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, my parent meetings at this facility were 15-minute, basically, med checks, team meetings where um, everybody had a couple of minutes and the doctor says, okay, we're going to try this this time. We're going to go ahead and up this prescription. Uh, we're going to bring it up 10 milligrams. We're going to see what happens, and then we'll uh, you know, have a great day, and then we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, a, again, for me, it was really – it was very confusing because, like, I was told that it doesn't fit everybody, but when we got into the process, that that's exactly what happened. Everybody had to use that model. So when you say cognitive, 
just for people who might be listening that might know exactly what might be actually experiencing it right now, could you give us some more examples of what, um, like how that worked and, and what they, what kind of processes they used? Yeah, it's a process by which, you know, they, they work a theoretical premise that, that they, they understand and that there's a, there's a certain amount of predictability to their model, meaning that if I give you negative information about the way that you're acting, uh, I'm going to give you, in a clinical sense, an opportunity to choose A, B, or C. And if you choose okay. B, then we're going to then talk about how you got to B and how I really want you to choose A. And okay. So, they do so it's, it's the kind of like behavior of, modification. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, okay. they call they they do now. You know, positive uh, uh, behavior mod is is part of that cognitive model. It, it, it actually the motivational enhancement therapy is an outgrowth of that cognitive of the original cognitive model. Because they kind of mm-hmm. found as they got into it that if everything was always negative, uh, you, 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 people just do not not going to want to deal with it. They're not going to want to do the work. So they thought, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and kind of spin off this positive motivational enhancement theory. Or now we're going to tell you that even though you made a bad choice, it's okay because you're trying. Instead of creating that intense dissonance that you're going to have by thinking that what you're thinking is wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I'm, and I'm talking about more the, the historical aspect of how psychotherapy and psychoanalysis has developed in, in the U.S. and around the world, um, but there's always a new theory that kind of comes along that's meant to enhance the one just that came just before it. It's very, it's very rare that in our history that we're going to find a therapist or psychotherapist, unless they're holistic, that's willing to basically just throw everything in a trash can. Uh, mm-hmm. What they do is they build upon the theory that that just was either preceding it or modifying it a little bit, you know, to kind of make it work. Uh, so that's kind of what I what, 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 in, in talking about cognitive. It really is making you really feel um, the emotion involved with your decision, and then letting you kind of work it out and deal with it with their feedback. Uh, but it, it, I'm not saying that it's negative. It's just a very difficult model to work through, especially when you're dealing with a 16-year-old that doesn't have a capacity to think on that level. Uh, so it's, right. a, you know, it's a higher function process. Um, and so the, 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 the people that we're talking about, uh, uh, besides the families, is we're talking about young people. And even up to the age of 25, if they start using it at 16, um, it's a difficult model for them to process, and that's why we have these new, all these hybrid programs where you have 12-step mixed in, the spiritual mm-hmm. model, because they can relate to God um, in some sense. They can relate to a higher power. Um, they can relate to values um, based on the family. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, my thinking in, in terms of what I'm going to be posting this week is that... Um, it was always difficult for me because they were only giving us just a, 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 just as a metaphor one pair of shoes for all of us to walk in, um, and that right. was really hard. It was really hard, if not impossible, for the four of us and Chris, you know, and my son's family, to to all wear the same pair of shoes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it's confusing. It was very confusing. And again, the part that started to wear on me wasn't so much the effort and everything else that was going on was that I would have to pay for it before we could try it. Right. Because everything was based on conversations about this. And I got better at asking questions, um, but it was a very, very expensive process to learn. And I had to really figure out that, you know, that my sense of personal pride and the stigma and everything I I had to let go of because if I if, if not for that I would it would have doubled the cost of his his uh, rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work it doesn't work any other way. And I, and I tell people and they think I'm tell, I'm, I'm really ch- saying this to be funny but I couldn't go up to another family that had been through it and say hey can I borrow your shoes. Um it doesn't work that way. You have to buy a new pair of shoes. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you don't. I mean, you can learn from the stories that they're willing to tell you. Um, but the way the system is set up and, and, and for status quo to continue to generate, you know, their profit and margin out of that $35 billion a year industry is even if you stay at the same place, you still have to get rid of the shoes that you bought before and buy a new pair. Mm-hmm. You have to. It's just the way the rules are set up. You know, so I, I and, and so in, in terms of, I hope that's not too generalized because you know the 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 different theories with respect to uh, the clinical psychological thought and processes with respect to the evolution of psych, you know psychotherapy initially, um, and 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 basically, if, I mean, the, the way it works right now is, is if you go to a psycho uh, a, a psychotherapist or psychologist level type person, you're going to get talk therapy. If you go to a psychiatrist or you go to your general practitioner, you're going to get medications. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the way that it works. I mean, they may recommend here or there. Sometimes they'll give you a list of people that you might want to talk to or maybe a treatment center. Um, but by that time, you've already had to buy some other services prior to even getting there. So again, you know, my anxiety over it was just always being asked to pay. Um, mm-hmm. And then and then hearing, well, it, you know, not everything fits, but we think we're a good fit for you. And I used right. to think, okay. <laughs> and then the other thing that I mentioned in, that, in, in the draft that I provided to you was the majority of people that I were talking to had been in, in treatment. Yeah. And they were now sober. And I'm like, God, I desperately wanted to see my son's reflection in that, you know, in them. Right. And that was probably one of the biggest selling points that used to affect me. I was yeah. more wary and more skeptical of professionals that didn't have that in their background than somebody that said, "Hey, look, man, I was I I I, I wreaked havoc for eight years in my family's life, you know." And I was like, "Okay, then you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying." Yeah. Um, but again, it, it didn't always transfer to something that, again, that I, and I say this all the time, and I know it's kind of old, but it, was, it, didn't, it didn't ever translate into anything that I could take home and use in my living room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not always. Sometimes it did, but not always. So yeah, I, hope I mean, whenever. Good, good enough. Go ahead. Y- yes, no, that was great. That was perfect. And I, I just, what I was going to say is, you know, whenever we talk about things like this, I, you know, my immediate reaction is to think about my experience, you know, and think about, um, 
you know, the treatment center that I worked for. And I, I kind of, you know, I kind of run myself through like, okay, so did we have a one size fits all approach? You know, like whenever you bring this stuff up, I, I always go there. I think that's a pretty uh, normal reaction, but, but I do, you know, I, I, I know, especially the place I worked maybe more so than, than most um, we were very, well, we were all in recovery for one, you know, we'd all been there, done that. And, and we were very, um, what's the word? I mean, we were really passionate about how we had done it and, right. you know, to an extent. And I think this applies a lot to any 12 step program. I think people who, you know, find help that way and, find some level of, you know, find recovery and find some level of sanity and peace of mind and start to get their lives back together. It, it's hard not to, to want to say, well, this is it, you know, this is what would work for everybody. I mean, I think anyone, I, and I, and I think that can apply to so many things, not just recovery. You know, I mean, I know people who have gotten into Avon and, you know, all of a sudden Avon is for everything all of the time and it's the best makeup on the planet and it's all you should use. And, you know, um, I think we've all experienced that and experienced people who are like that when at first, because something is working for you, you get evangelical about it, you know? Um, and, and I, you know, I do, you know, I can think back because even in 12-step programs, one of the things they say is, um, well, I can speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, there's a, a line in the, the main text of AA that says, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting, but it says something about, you know, um, complete abstinence is the only way to recover. Maybe, you know... I'm trying to think of how it's worded. Um, but basically it's like there could be, you know, a way to recover without complete abstinence and science may accomplish this, but it has not done so yet. Right. So that's, that's a line that in some meetings I went to was actually read at the beginning of meetings and people chanted it. And like, it was, it was, you know, you heard it a lot and it's kind of a famous line in AA and, you know, it didn't occur to me until much, much later in my recovery that um, that book was written in the 30s. And 70 years later, we were still saying that science had not accomplished that when in actuality it has <laughs> a few times, you know. Right. Um, right. And I think that's the kind of, that's the, the danger, I think, that comes from, um that kind of evangelism around something because it's, it's hard not to, you know, make that your hammer and see everything as a nail. Um, And then, you know, you bring that kind of evangelism to a professional setting where everybody who is, you know, in, in, uh, I guess, you know, authority roles, has has that evangelism and has been through that 
Um, and then you bring in vulnerable people who are looking for answers. Like you just said, you know, I would, I would, I had more respect for people who had been in recovery than people who, you know, than professionals who hadn't because I, I wanted to see my son in them, you know, and that's, that's some pretty powerful stuff. And, um, you know, I, I know the, where I work, I mean, a lot of us believed, I I can't speak for everybody, but I I can speak for myself and for a few people that I knew there pretty well, um, that, you know, the 12 steps and, and not even just 12 steps, but beyond that, our program and the way that we worked the 12 steps, because the, the, where I worked, the, the man who started those programs actually changed some of the 12 steps to apply to, to our program specifically um, and there definitely was this undercurrent of like, we're the best, <laughs> you know, like this is right. it. If you are an alcoholic or an addict, this is it period, the end. And this is the way to go. And I, you know, I remember at times really struggling with that with people, you know, and, and really, because I think that's such a, you know, in my training, in change management and organizational psychology that I've had, you know, over the past six years and, um, and some of the other education that I've, I've had since I left there, I've learned a lot more about, you know, the human condition and how we operate, especially under stress and um, to want an answer that is very solid and like it's black and white, like this is the answer and this is what's going to do it for you is really, really normal just for humans, but especially in times of disruption, right? So when you walk into a treatment center seeking help, really concerned for your child, and you've got all these people who are evangelical (laughs) about their approach, it's hard for either side to see any other option, right. you know, and I know that I, I really struggled with that towards the end of the time that I was um, working in the treatment field because uh, there was a part of me that really, because, because I mean, honestly, that really makes the treatment professional's job easier because you've got this foundation that you're coming from, right? You've got, sure. you know, you, you've got these, these benchmarks for people that you want them to fit in. And then if they're not fitting into them, you can kind of blame them. Right. I mean, if if you're working with someone who is calling themselves an alcoholic, it's really easy to point the finger at the alcoholic at the one who, you know, technically is saying they have a mental health issue and go, well, they're obviously just not doing what they need to do, you know, or they're not taking all of the steps the way they're supposed to, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, they're not yeah. they're not going to meetings the way that I told them to and right. And I and I used right. to get those shoulder shrugs too, Jacqueline. I mean, you know, from twelve step uh, you know, pure twelve step spiritual recovery was you know, it was almost like, you know, they kinda of like you tip your head and it, it, it again becomes marketing, it's charismatic. But it's mm-hmm. almost like being told, Look, if it was good enough for me and I'm able to do it, what's wrong with your son? Mhm. Mhm. Right. I, you know, are you gonna are you gonna support me on this, or are you gonna fight me on this so that we can't we we're not gonna get there? And I just remember right. used to thinking, well, you know, I'm I'm I I wish that you would be able to get whatever it was in you inside of my son 
whatever those right. components were, they got you. And isn't that your job? Isn't that what I'm paying you for? <laughs> yeah, trans. I'm giving you eighteen thousand dollars. Just transplant right. it in there. You know, get it in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but on the other hand, it, uh, even wanting my son to get well, I also had to be. You know, I I had to become more aware of my family. I mean, we we were getting left behind, or we were getting more twisted. And, you know, so that's where it came. And, I I mean, I I have one question that I ask clinical people right now that are very, very empirical, that disdain the 12-step and the the spirituality aspect of it, or they minimize it to the point that they can, you know, claim some sensible psychological or or theoretical dominance in the process. And And I just, I asked them, I said, look, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but you also understand when I say this, that if we believe strong enough in something clinically, even with double blind studies, how do you explain how come placebos work? Right. For somebody that takes a sugar pill, right? (laughs) Um, We've got all these control groups that are out there and we've got pharmacology involved now because it's such a huge part of recovery. Um, not saying that it's a good or bad thing uh, without knowing the specific circumstances and, 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 you know, what a family is going through. Um, But placebos do work. Um, It's not a large percentage, but it's a, it's a large enough percentage of a double blind study to allow them to morph data to be able to say, well, setting the placebo effect aside because of the power of somebody's thinking we know that this drug has some efficacy with respect to this particular part of the brain and the synapses that are occurring here and there, and that's where cognitive processes are going now, right? Brain mapping, um, the mm-hmm. PET scan, the fMRIs, um, you know, that measure blood flow in brains. And um, a parent can get lost in that process because you really don't feel that you have the position to be able to either question it or argue that your son or daughter doesn't fit in that particular behavioral model that's being presented to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that I was going to have a long haul when the first PhD that I met with, I asked to write an outline for my son's treatment, and I told you this story before, um, uh, where she basically cut and pasted you know, information from different studies from various places that she wanted to have as a part of her inventory, professional inventory. Um, and I just, I ran it through a, a you know, a plagiarism check uh, program and found out that she had cut and pasted these things together. And when I mm-hmm. went in to ask her about it, she she tried to slap me down. She didn't want to talk about it. It was mm-hmm. that she had made a decision that her fit was the best. And then if I chose not to do it, it would be kind of like, a, you know, against medical or professional orders, as it were. So even though she had said before that not, it's like not, you know, one size fits all, what happens is, is that after you pay them, then that's what you hear is, is that if you, if your child doesn't do well, if you don't do well, it's because you're not accepting what we're telling you is the right thing to do. And oftentimes Mm -hmm. we're like, well, what is the right thing to do? Well, there's not a very clear and 
articulate answer to a lot of those because I think deep inside of them, they know that there's not just one answer. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we want, we all want to get to the same place. You know, whether my son stopped using completely or whether he stopped using to the point where he wasn't a danger to himself or others and can manage his life, uh, it didn't matter to me. I mean, when I went into 12-step programs, it was abstinence. I thought if my son relapsed, it was the end of the world. Um you know, for other people, it was like that relapse is part of recovery process, which you know I don't believe in. Uh, as a parent, I think it's part of the addiction paradigm. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just think that, you know, from my perspective, it was like, just give me the right pair of shoes. You know, I, I, I'm willing to pay for something to get something out of this, but you have to be able to be, you know, articulate enough to be able to tell me what what are your expectations of me? Uh, mm-hmm. I think the expectations for our children are all like, well, we're going to try to, you know, get them thinking better, making better choices. Um, you know, they're just, you know, good kids making bad choices, you know, things like that, you know, the things that kind of keep you propelling you forward. Um, but, you know, like I say, I mean, I, I just have a way of like thinking that, well, either you're going to be scientific or not. Um, when, when you're so confident about what you're offering that everything that you say is absolute truth, I think it, cre- it, 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 it draws skepticism eventually when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, you have, to, you, have to have, you have to have a little bit of confidence, confidence or hubris or whatever and saying, hey, you know, we've, we've thought this through, kind of like what we're working on. Um, but, but I would never tell a parent or even a professional that we've got all the answers. We just want to ask the questions um, mm-hmm. to find out if it is going to be a decent fit. And and ask them to be honest enough. I mean, how many how many places do you know of that actually have the capacity to be able to tell a family that they're not a right fit? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, the way that group ownership is working now in our industry, families are always going to be a disadvantage because they, they may say, "Oh, yeah, there's another place that might be a better fit." At that moment, that family has to ask whether or not. They're owned by the same people, by the right, same yeah. public and traded conglomerate. I mean, you know, th- those are things that we can help with. We're not going to say that it's going to change their outcome, uh, but that we can help you to ask the type of question that's going to help you maintain your sanity. Mm-hmm. So that if you're hearing something that doesn't make sense, you've probably either heard it, I've probably either thought about it or done research about it, and we're going to start bringing in new voices in very shortly, as we talked about. Um, but for right now, I think that, you know, it, it really is. I mean, when things become so rigid in a program that the mandates start to force everything into a one-size-fits-all formula, I think from my perspective and my research, the incentive for people that are doing the work is to lower their expectations. Mm-hmm. Because everybody all has to fit the same requirements, whether they're federal, state, professional, or whatever. The easy way to rationalize and intellectualize the process is just to kind of like bring it down a few notches so that we can all kind of like pass these requirements. It was right. kind of like the no, no child left behind is a good example. You know, mm-hmm. parents now are going, well, I'm, I'm really sick of the fact that they're not teaching my kid at school anymore. All we're doing is le- they're learning how to take tests. Um, 
it's a clear example of what happens systemically when you force teachers to stop and do something that doesn't really apply to their creative uh, ability to influence children's minds individually um, and and get them to want to learn because Mm -hmm. they're under the pressure to have to meet a mandate. And so that means 30% or something, you know, whatever percentage of time, a classroom time that they're losing and not learning about life and learning their lessons, they're learning how to take a test. Right. You know, in that sense, just as an example, I'm not saying that it's a one for one, but it lowers expectations and lowers the ability of a school to actually educate. And right. so much of what we do and so much of what you helped me do was to become educated about my situation. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to get the emotional component out of it, but you can still learn, um, you know, and that, that's part of what we talk about and what we want to bring to the forefront is that, you know, we really want to share the questions that millions of families have had. Some of us have had them answered either through finding somebody that's willing to be, you know, uh, genuine and authentic in their answers and mm-hmm. a lot of others have had to go out and find it on their own, and some still don't have any idea. And it's not a knock. It's just the fact that they're probably tired. Um, they probably ran out of money. Um, you know, and you're, they're, you know I, mean, I, I mean, as you know, I mean, when, when, when AA first started and they were meeting in the basements of churches all around the country, um, there was no way to measure that stuff. And it's a perfect opportunity for the empiricists of today to say, well, AA doesn't work because they don't measure anything. Well, it's called anonymous. <laughs> right. Um, you know, uh, and so even if 30% is, are, are, are working in a 12-step in a spiritual program to get well, uh, the estimates right now for the, 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 the other different models that are being integrated in are, are, are roughly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and we've talked about this just really briefly in passing, but, you know, when you have a child that you don't really uh, take the time to get to know why they're making choices, and if you catch them smoking a joint and you put them into treatment right away, it's like could be the worst possible thing that you can do. Right, uh, yeah. Both of, both of us know kids that, 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 that either got caught smoking a joint or lied and said they were using drugs and got put into treatment. By the time they got out of treatment, they were using, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying that it's a lot of people because parents do have to take our, you know, we have to take our kids' choices seriously. Right. Um, but I think that, that that intake and that assessment process needs to be uh, adjusted so that we can take into consideration it's one size fits all. Um, you know, um, I mean, if your child has not been able to stay in school for a year, then you, you obviously have something as opposed to somebody that maybe slip the semester. Um, so it all has to be kind of weighed uh, individually. Uh, but, but ultimately, we as parents and, and also uh, you now as an advocate have to be able to say, well, hang on, just count to 10. Right. And let's talk this thing through and let's see if this is really the best thing. I'm not saying that treatment should not be part of the, you know, the alternatives that are available. Um, I mean, if you've had a kid that's been using Oxycontin for, you know, a year and a half because of a football injury or something and is in danger of moving to heroin, uh, yeah, there's danger there. 
Um, right. But you have to you have to make sure that you know that that's true before you 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 just kind of run off and make a decision like I did initially. Um, right. Because my it, it, you know my son's first experience in, in treatment was very very bad and it was bad for everybody in the family um, because I wanted to believe people that had diplomas as opposed to had to have an experience and I'm not. I, I think the best thing, Jacqueline, and you've told me this before, is to have a blend mm-hmm. of yeah. academic and clinical with people that are there and not have it be so heavenly laden one way or the other because it's going to yeah. end up getting kind of twisted somewhere along the way. Uh, and with 14,000 yeah. different treatment options in terms of facilities, there's a lot that's going wrong out there today. Um, and I hate to admit it, um, especially if somebody's plunked down $25,000 for 45 days of residential. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of young people that are going to be discharged and graduate from that program that are not going to be any better off than when they went in and the parents are out the money. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the way – it's like on my thing, status quo says, well, that's just the way it is. And we're yeah. saying, can, isn't there a way to make it better? I mean, right. the treatment outcomes haven't changed in the last 25 years. Why would we? Why would we continue to believe what you're saying? Why? Right. I, I mean, I, except for the fact that I'm like freaked out. I can't sleep. I can't work. Um, and I'm wondering how long my, you know, 401k is going to last. Um, and we're going to use our lifetime up on our kid. Once our kids get over 18, if they're not in school, um, you know, even with the Affordable Care Act, I mean, ultimately. Um, you know, they fall off your insurance and then you then have to try to figure out how you're going to help your kid. Um, right. You know, th- those are the realities. So, you know, but getting back to our topic and that one size fits all, um, you know, it, 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 you know it, or maybe reversing it and saying one size doesn't fit all. If right. that's the case, then the treatment expert should stick to that story and not try to change it after they have your money. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I also think it's worth chiming in here. Um, you know, if there is anyone out there that's listening and go and and feel like they work somewhere or they work with someone that does not do the one size fits all thing, by all means contact us. <laughs> um, right. I think what we're really trying to do here because I know that, you know, a lot of times we we are pointing out some, you know, flaws in the system and I think it's easy to lose sight of our mission, which is, yes, to point out the flaws that we see, but also to offer a solution and offer resources for people so that they don't have to go through all the stuff that you went through trying to get their kids help. And that that's that's really our aim um, in, in everything that we're doing is to provide a membership-based website where people can go and get the answers they're looking for and, and walk into a treatment situation, bad or good, armed with education and, um, you know, information about what they want, what they're looking for, have questions that they want to ask based on what they need. That's really what we're going for here. And at the same time, we do want to shake things up a little bit. You know, I mean... We we just have our little podcast, and maybe right now we're not um, causing huge tremors across the nation, uh, you know, when it comes to 
the state of treatment today, but ultimately that's our goal. So if, if you're listening and you're sitting and thinking to yourself, well, so what's the answer? That's what we want to know. You know, that's what, that's really what we're trying to find out. And, and we're calling on everyone to come together to find that because the health of our children is important and the, the harmony in our families is important. And we can't get there. You know, the, the system that we have in place right now is not working. Um, yet we're still dumping tons and tons of money into it. And so why we do this and why we talk about these, because we do want to, we want to shake it up. We want people thinking about it. We want people going, what's the answer? So that collectively we can come up with one. Um, Frank and right. I by no means think that, you know, we have the answers. We, we know we don't. That's why we're here. So I just felt like it was important to say that again. Um, and we, we are running out of time. So <laughs> um, thank you, Frank. I appreciate that. I think that was, I think that was all communicated really well. And if you would like to reach us, you can find us at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. Um, you can contact Frank at frank at com, And I am Jacqueline at thefamilyrecoveryproject.com. If you're listening on iTunes and you like what you hear, please give us a review so we can reach more people. And we hope you have a great week. Thanks, Frank. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Jacqueline. Thank you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.